Yes, let's give God a shout of praise this morning at the Way Church, can we? I'm going to be in the book of Colossians in chapter 3 today. Um, if you're watching online, I'd like to welcome you here. Man, this is a message that's good for everybody today. Uh, if you're watching online, just go ahead and share this stream so we can get it out there to everybody uh, that might need to hear this. The title of today's message is The Mess. <laughs> the Mess. And the purpose is, what do we do? You know, we, we've talked a little bit about how to keep your family from being a mess. Uh, what do you do when your family's already a mess? Yeah. You know, when I first got called into ministry, I was called into youth ministry. I was a youth pastor, right? Uh, when I was much younger, right? Much younger, I was a youth pastor. Uh, and, and the church that I was, you know, the church that I first received my calling in, we had a, a powerful recovery ministry. We had these recovery homes. We had a couple of men's houses and a women's house where, uh, you know, people that were struggling with addiction would come into those uh, places and, and, and get introduced to Jesus. We had a program that we walked them through and just so much incredible uh, work. So many inc incredible works of God came through that ministry. But as you can guess, uh, a lot of the work that I did, yeah, there's one right there, one of those success stories, man. Praise the Lord. Um, uh, as you can guess, though, a lot of the ministry that I did, I did to the children of, of addicted people, to, to the children of people that were fresh out of prison, to the children of, uh, of, of people that were, you know, that, that had a rough time and, and came from a dark place. And, you know, when I was involved in this youth ministry, there were some families there that intimidated me. Not, not those families. Those families were fine. I was good with those families. You see, broken understands broken. Broken can see broken. Yeah, when those folks came in, we were, I was right now, we're connected. I see where you're coming from because I've been there too, because most of you know I came from a real dark place like that, and God set me radically free. And in the midst of that radical freedom, gave me the opportunity and the calling to reach back into that darkness, grab the hands of those that were stuck in the muck and the mire, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, pull them free and help them get stuck on solid ground. Can you say amen? And even the families that would come in that looked okay on the outside, kind of the Instagram family that we've been talking about in this series, like even them, like a lot of times you can see some of those cracks and you're like, okay, I see. Like I said, broken understands broken, right? Broken understands broken. I know what it looks like when you, you know, had to get up and get cleaned up and get everybody calmed down and try to act like everything's normal when everything in your life is falling to pieces. I know what that looks like, right? I can see that. I know what that looks like. Broken understands broken. But there were some families that did intimidate me. That's because they were way on the other end of the spectrum from anything that I could comprehend. I mean, these folks came in like dressed to the T. And you couldn't see a crack in their armor anywhere. I mean, I had kids coming into my youth group like teenagers that would call me Brother Paul every day. It was the most uncomfortable thing that I had ever experienced in my life. Good morning, Brother Paul. Uh, okay. How you doing? <laughs> What's up? Okay, anyway. I mean, they, you know, they, uh, they, they came like, like dressed like matching, and they would bring like tithing checks to youth ministry. I, I mean, maybe that doesn't seem weird to you. It seems weird to me. Like they would just see, they bring tithing checks to youth ministry, some of these kids, and, and there was this one family in particular that they're, you know, for a while just kind of made me uncomfortable. I was scared because I thought maybe some of the, I, I, first of all, I felt like they knew more about scripture than I did. <laughs> And I felt like none of the stuff that I was saying to them made any difference in their life or had any impact on them at all because this whole family was just like rock solid from top to bottom, rock solid, and, and kind of intimidated me. I won't lie, because I'd only been in ministry a couple years, and, and it was kind of intimidating to me. And so that's why when I got a call from the senior pastor that he wanted to meet with me and him and this family in a private meeting, I was like, well, it was fun while it lasted. I'm being fired. I'll just go ahead and start cleaning out my trailer. I don't have an office. We had a trailer out behind the church. Who remembers the trailer, man? Anybody remember the trailer? <laughs> we had a single wide mobile home, and that's where we did youth ministry at. So I was like, yep, I'm going to start cleaning out the trailer because guess what? I've been fired. I'm 100,000% sure of it. And so I walked in this meeting already just ready for him to be like, yeah, so you preached on the thing and you said the word and you did the stuff and you played the dangerous game and you know all the stuff you get called to the principal's for office for all the time. Yeah, they're not going to tolerate this garbage and so I need you to get out. I was prepared for this conversation. What I walked into was something totally different than that. Um, what I walked into was a, a thing that caught me uh, completely off guard. Um, when this family began to share what they were dealing with, 
in their life, it rocked me to my core. And I had to instantly regain my composure. And then I had to walk through this fam- walk through with this family one of the most insanely, you know, messy situations that I have to this day still ever been involved in in my life. And the point that I'm trying to make to you by telling you that today is this. Everybody, every family, every individual, everything in all creation needs Jesus. We all need Jesus in every aspect of our entire lives, from the top to the bottom, from the right to the left. Yes, you heard me. I said from the right to the left. We all need Jesus, and we need him more than we could possibly need anything in our entire lives. And I don't care if you're so broken and messed up that everybody around you and everybody on the internet knows, and I don't care if you're just this much messed up and nobody knows but you. Every single person that's drawing breath right now, every single family that is connected by blood or legality or relationship or anything in this whole earth needs Jesus Christ to be the core, to be the driving force, and to be the goal of their entire lives. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word today? But you know, thank God that we serve a God that specializes in broken. Amen. We serve a God that specializes in redemption and restoration and reconciliation and resurrection. Thank God that we serve a Lord that's not intimidated by how bad off you are or how good you think you are. That we serve a God that died for me and you and everybody that you've ever known to see us reconciled. To the Father. Thank God for him. Book of Colossians in chapter 3. The Bible says this. So if. Oh wait. Can you say if? Say it louder. Say if. So if you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things above where Christ is. Seek the things above where Christ is is seated at the right hand of God. Sit your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Did you hear that? And you once walked in these things. Who once walked in these things? I walked in it, ate it, slept it, breathed it. Was was it? Was it? You once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, say, but now. Now say, but now. Put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, not circumcision and uncircumcision, not barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, black, white, brown, Asian, Latino. Yeah? Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, none of that stuff. But in Christ, Christ is all and in all. I love that word. I love that word. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all, 
Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and admonishing, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, say whatever you do. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we praise your holy name. God, I pray that we do set our sights on the things above and not the things below. Lord, I pray that we can take off what we need to take off and put on your love in its place, God. And Lord, today, I pray that your peace does rule our hearts, that your word does dwell in our hearts, God, and that above all, that we experience you, that we become like you. Father, we praise you. We lift our families up to you. We lift our world up to you, and we bow before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give him a shout of praise, and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Yeah, man, that's some good stuff right there. That's some good stuff. You think your family's a mess? Or maybe even worse, you think you think it's not. <laughs> right? Check this out. I, I want to give you guys some hope, okay? I want to give you some hope. Um, if you've been watching my, me and my wife do our Bible study on Tuesday night, you already know these things, but let me run through this with you. Uh, the first husband and wife disobeyed God and introduced sin and brokenness into the whole world. The, the firstborn of their child committed fatricide, murdered his brother, and, uh, and, and left him you know, dead, buried in a field. Uh, Sarah's grief over her infertility caused her to have her servant, Hagar, sleep with her, her husband and, and bear him a surrogate child named Ishmael, which still causes us problems here today. Um, and then Sarah abuses Hagar and basically kicks her out of the, of the family. Uh, Lot refuses to leave sexually perverse Sodom. Uh, angels have to go and rescue him and drag him out. And a few weeks later, his, in a drunken stupor, his wife seduced him into incest. Uh, Isaac and Re Rebecca play favorites with their twin boys whose sibling rivalry becomes one of the worst in history. Uh, Esau has no discernment. He sells his birthright for some soup and, it grieves his, and he grieves his parents by marrying a Canaanite woman. And uh, from a different religion, from a pagan religion that did human sacrifice and whatnot. And uh, he nurses a 20-year murderous grudge against his little brother. That little brother, the same one, manipulates and deceives his older brother out of his birthright and his blessing. Uh, then his uncle Laban deceives him and causes him to marry uh, Rachel instead of Leah, which causes a whole big mess for the 12 sons that he had, some of them by concubines and servants and some of them by his two wives. Uh, then his daughter Dina is raped by these pagans in Shechem and two of his sons go and murder their whole village. Uh, Jacob's oldest son Reuben uh, sleeps with one of his father's servants that he was kind of married to. Uh, ten of Jacob, Jacob's sons throw their other son into a pit and sell him off into slavery. Uh, Judah, who uh, you know is, is one of his, probably the, the most famous son of, of Jacob, frequented prostitutes uh, so much that his, his ex-daughter-in-law, Tamar, who he dishonored, disguised herself as one and got pregnant by him. Uh, then later on down the line, King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband murdered to cover up his sin. You think your family's messed up? You know whose family that is? You know whose family that is? That's Jesus' family. That is Jesus' family. And yet, not because of those ridiculous things, but in spite of them all, God used that family, used that family to bring about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Savior of all eternity. And you think he can't use your messed up family to do something incredible? I'm here to tell you today that he can. That he can. See, my God uses all things, even ridiculous, messed up things like that, for his glory and for your good. For his glory and for your good. And in spite of where you find yourself right now, man, in spite of whatever kind of mess that your family finds themselves in today, God can redeem that. God can use that. God can take those experiences and those situations and set something in motion that you may not see today. You might, though, get to that a little later, and do something so incredible that you can't even imagine. You know, in the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, Habakkuk comes to God and he says, God, I look around and all I see is brokenness and all I see is pain. 
and, and the lie rules over the truth and, and the evil rule over the good and, I, and there's nothing good going on around me. I, I can't understand it. And God looks at Habakkuk and he says, let me tell you this. Look, keep your eyes open and see because I'm about to do something in your day that you wouldn't even believe if I told you. And if God can use Jesus' messed up family to do something incredible, and if God can use my messed up family to do something incredible, then there is no doubt in my mind that he can take your family wherever you are, wherever you are, and do something so amazing that if I was to prophesy it to you right now and tell you what it was, there's no way that you would believe me. But there's a process to this whole thing. You see, that first scripture that we read that I had you guys repeat a couple of times, it says, if, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, man, the, the first step in getting the mess that is your family out of the mess that they're in is just surrender. The first, man, that's a cute little fella, isn't it? <laughs> the first step is surrender. The first step is always surrender. It says, if, if you've been raised with Christ, if you know Christ, if you have come and surrendered yourself at the foot of the cross and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can seek the things above. Then you can let go of these earthly desires. Then you can be, like my brother was singing, you can be free because he who the Son says free is free. And otherwise you're not. Otherwise, any freedom that you experience is false and it's a lie. Because the only true freedom, the only real freedom, is found right here at the cross of Christ. I caught a little flack for saying that from some people a while back. That this is where our, our families get healed. That this is where our country gets healed. This is where it happens. At the foot of this cross. It doesn't happen in a courtroom. It doesn't happen in a legislation hall. It doesn't happen in a voting booth. The only place that we're ever going to find real freedom, the only place that we're ever going to find real reconciliation, the only place that we're ever going to experience the kind of healing that we read about in, in Chronicles is right here at the foot of this cross. There is no other place. It's at the foot of the cross of Christ. It's in full surrender. That is where we're going to find it. It's like I preached a few weeks ago, man. You can't hold the dead to a living standard. So if you're looking around at your family going, why are they so crazy? You have to ask yourself, do they know Jesus? Do they know Jesus? Because if they don't, that's your first step as a disciple. Because you're never going to get your family to act right if they ain't right. You're never going to be able to get them on the right track if they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There's no way we can be the family that God has designed us to be, that God has desired us to be. Unless we know Jesus. So your first step in fixing your family, let me speak to you first, is that you need to make sure that you know Jesus. I mean, if you want your family to go to church and you want your family to be, you know, blessed and you want your family to live in a righteous way, first you need to figure out if you know Jesus or not. Because if you don't, if you have not truly surrendered your life to Christ, if you've not truly been made into that brand new creation, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then how can you foster any change in your family? Because any change that you do foster will be temporary. Well, there'll be a measure of falsehood in it. It, it. it won't be eternal. It won't be eternal. It won't be eternal. Keep your eyes on the things above. Point yourself at the things of God. Man, seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else will be provided to you they seek first the kingdom of god and everything else will be provided to you so we if we ever want to see our family change if we ever want to see our, our, our family become what it can if we want to get out of the mess that we've gotten ourselves into we have to reorient ourselves. we have to put god at our center we have to put god at our center we have to put god as our focus and we have to make god our goal See, God has to be in us. God has to lead us. And it has to be God that we're going after in the first place. All three. God's in you. God leads you. And God is actually the goal that you're after. 
We need to reorient our families around these things. That, 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 and that needs to happen after we get cleaned up a little bit. It needs to happen after we go to church for so often. It needs to happen after we've memorized so many Bible verses. No. No. It needs to happen right now. It needs to happen right now. And there's no application you need to fill out, and there's no certain progress that you need to make. No, you need to reorient your family, putting God at the center of it right here, right now. Stop wasting time. Stop wasting time. You need to do everything you can to move God to the center of your life and the center of your family right now. You need to do everything that you can to make sure that it's God that is leading you right now. And more than anything else, you need to make sure that God is the goal at the end of your journey. And you need to turn directions and head that way right now. Right now, there's nothing keeping you from doing that. There's nothing keeping you from surrendering yourself and your family right here, right now. Too many times I've heard people that said, ah, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do that. You know, once we get things going a little bit right, we're going to get in church. Once we figure things out a little bit more, we're going to start going after God. Like once we, you know, go do this and do that and we're going to get moved and they're going to start the new job. And once we get the kids in school and we're going to go and we're going to start and we're going to make God a priority in our lives. Or on the other side of it, there's a group of people that would say, yeah, I'm going to go out for one last hoorah. One last big binge, one last big party that I'm going to go do. And then as soon as I run out of stuff or whatever, I'm going to get right with God. And that's all fine and good except for this. Sometimes that movement never happens. Sometimes that new job doesn't come about. Sometimes the kids never do go back to school. Right, babe? Lord help us. Uh, but here's the really scary part, and this is the part that I've experienced way too many times in my life. Too many times somebody goes out for that last hoorah, and they don't make it back. They don't make it back. And they were going to get right with God just as soon as they ran out of dope. But instead of them doing up the dope, the dope did them up, you hear me? And they never made it back to God. And so that's why you need to surrender yourself to Christ right now. You know why? Because we're not promised tomorrow. The book of James says that life is but a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. It's gone. Because we have a special opportunity here. We have a special opportunity here, man, to sit our sight on Him. To set our sights on Him. That, that, that scripture says, so if you are raised with Christ. So wait, church, man, if you are raised with Christ, then be like Christ. You know what Christ did when He was raised from the dead? You know what the first thing He did was? He walked right out of that tomb. Can you say amen? He walked right out of there. So let me ask you a tough question, Christians. If you've been lay, raised to life with Christ, then why are you still laying in the tomb? Why are you still laying in the tomb? Why are you still wrapped up in all that mess and all that smell of the death of your old life? Why? Why? Man, keep your eyes on Christ. Surrender everything that you are to Him. Because if you want to see your family changed, if you want to see it come out of the mess that it's wrapped up in, guess who it starts with? Right here. Right there. Starts with numero uno. And this is the process. The very first thing you need to do after you surrender your life to Christ is repent. Verse 5, therefore put to death, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. To fix the mess your family has become, you need to see your part in getting it there and repent before God. You're never going to fix your family by blaming everything on everyone else. And some other people may have had a bigger part of getting it there than you did. They may have. 
They, they may have done some things that are so wrong that, that it's ridiculous and there's no way that you could ever take that for granted or, 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 or forget that. I mean, that's very possible. However, it didn't get there by itself. I had a part in it. I could blame it on her all day long. I'm not going to do that. But I had a part in it. Probably my part's way bigger than hers is. Yeah, let's be honest. But if I don't repent for what I've done, if I don't come before the Lord and get on my knees before him and, 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 and ask him to forgive me and to change me for what I've done, then how can I ever expect the people around me to do that? See, guys, we have to lead by example. You know what's a, you know what's a whole lot more effective than you need to repent. You need to go before God and ask him to forgive you of your sins. No, no, no. It's much more effective to say, watch me. Watch me go before God and ask him to forgive me of my sins and to change me and to set me free. I want to lead my family by example. I want to lead my family by example. I don't ever want to be that hypocrite that says, do what I say and, and not what I do. Because that's no way to lead. Men, women, boys and girls, whoever you are, that's no way to lead your family. The way to lead is to say, do as I do because I'm going to do as he did. Do as I do because I'm going to do what I've seen the people of God do. Man, you should lead by example to the foot of the cross because when you show up there, man, when you show up there, then, then hopefully, man, you'll have this whole congregation of folks behind you. You know who you're going to have for sure? All the littles that you have any influence over in your life. You are. If they see you taking your sins to the cross, guess what they're going to do with their sins? They're going to take them to the cross. If they see you waving your sins like a banner on how cool it is that you get to do the things that you get to do and get away with it, guess what they're going to do? Guess what they're going to do? You know what happens every night when we sit down around the dinner table for dinner? We've got a little bitty fella. You saw his picture right before he ate them raviolis. You know what he did? And then he looks around at everybody. <laughs> He's going to pray. He's going to pray. And even if we give him his ravioli before everybody else sits down to keep him in the, from squirming in the chair, as soon as everybody sits down, he'll put his spoon down and put them little hands together. He's going to pray. You know why? Because we pray. Because we pray because he sees us pray. If he saw us doing other stuff that we ought not to be doing, you know what he's going to do? All that stuff. So if we create a culture of repentance in the mess that our household has become, guess what? It's going to transfer. It's going to transfer. And, and even, you know, in my relationship with my wife, man, if we have a, a big argument and, and get into it or whatever, and then she knows that I took my part in the argument to the foot of the cross, then what's that going to do for our relationship? Nothing bad. Nothing bad, I guarantee you. Nothing bad. All good stuff. Some of these people in your family may have never even seen anybody repent. You may be the first one that shows them what a humble spirit looks like. And somebody in your family that's so consumed with pride and narcissism and arrogance, they may never even have understood what repentance is. And so if you tell them that they need to repent, if you tell them, and, and, and I know that's a big church word, but if you tell them they need to act right and, and, and get forgiveness and stop doing the things that they're doing and be changed from that, then, then they don't even understand what it is that you're saying. What you have to do is show them that and model that and be that person. Because when somebody sees the effects that that has in your life, when somebody that knows you as well as your spouse and your children do, they see you come before the cross of Christ and just be like, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me for the lies. Forgive me for the pride. Forgive me for the outburst, Lord Jesus. And then not only that, they see you live out repentance. Because, you know, repentance is not to say, I'm sorry. You get that, right? 
Repentance is not to say, I'm sorry, Lord. Repentance is to say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done, and now give me the strength to turn 180 degrees and walk away from it. Walk away from it. And we leave that garbage that we brought to the cross at the cross. At the cross. We leave it there. We leave it there. We leave the the sexual morality and the lust and the greed and the lies. We leave it there and then we become different. And then if we want to change our family, it starts with me. It starts with me because if I get a little better, then my family's a little better. You understand? If I get a little better, then my family's a little better. But we can't just stop doing the bad stuff. We've got to replace it with some good stuff. That's simple enough, right? You know, Jesus said if you cast out one demon and then you just leave that person sitting there idle, what's going to happen? He's going to come back with seven more, right? Seven more to fill up all that idle space. So you, you can't just stop doing the bad stuff, right? I know people that have been like, well, I stopped doing dope. I, I stopped drinking. I stopped sleeping around. Yeah, but you're a complete jerk to everyone that you ever come into contact with. You're a worse jerk now than you were when you were drinking. And that doesn't help anybody. You can't replace one sin with another one and expect to be blessed. That's why not only do you have to repent, but you have to be changed. You have to change. You have to change. Look, the Bible says this. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, ooh, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another one, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. But above all, above all, put on the love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You have to replace all that death with life. With life. Somebody once said, if you're not changing it, you're choosing it. You hear me? If you're not changing it, you're choosing it. And and you may think that it's not that simple, but I assure you it is. I was talking about it last night. I would like to lose some weight as I was literally eating a box full of tacos. I said those words with a family to-go pack sitting on my lap, full of tacos, some hard shell, some soft shell, full fire sauce on them. But by not changing my behaviors, I'm choosing what I've got. And it goes the same in every aspect of your family. If you're not changing it, you're choosing it. But you're going to need, to need some help to change it. Right? But remember, you can't change anybody else. You can't. You can't change anybody else. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change you. You can change you. So if you don't have these things, if you don't have these things, Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. Pray for those things and God will provide them to you. You pray for those things earnestly. You pray for those things in faith believing and God will provide those things to you. And I know the joke, the church joke is don't ever pay for, pray for patience, right? Don't ever pray for patience. And when people start to pray for it, they'll stop. You'll be like, no, in the middle of your prayer, don't do it. I'm telling you to do it. Pray for patience. And then the, cho- the, the joke that me and my wife tell is this, that the last time she prayed for patience, we got the toddler class at our other church, right? So she became the director of the toddler ministry. And uh, our patience was tested repeatedly over and over and over again. But you know what else? Just about every single one of those toddlers has a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. Yeah, give God praise for that. 
Yeah, that's been 12 years ago. And we, yeah, 13 years ago, 13 years ago. It's been 13 years ago. And, and we see those kids now on social media and stuff, and, and 90% of them know the Lord and have an active relationship with Jesus. And, and since then, that was the very first time we ever served in church. You know, since my wife prayed for patience that very first time, I mean, she's gone on to lead hundreds of people to the Lord. To the Lord. Hundreds. And it all started with that prayer, you know, God, give me patience. I need it. So I'm telling you to pray for patience and take whatever God gives you along the way. Pray for compassion, and God will give you the opportunity to have compassion. Pray for kindness, that you can reach out your hand and put it on somebody. Pray that you'll be able to forgive the people that you need to be able to forgive. But more importantly than anything else, you need to pray that you're able to be filled with the love of Christ by the love of the Holy Spirit so much that you can overflow with it in such an incredible way that it gets on everybody that you come into contact with in your whole life, that the love of God just flows into you so much that you're just overflowing with the love of Christ everywhere that you go. That's what you need to pray for more than anything else. If you want to see your life change, if you want to see your family change, it's God, fill me with your love so that I can overflow with it into the world around me. And we want to believe that if we're able to do that, then everything will get fixed. Yeah. And it will. But probably not in the time frame that you would like it to. Now it might. My God has the power to reach down right now and change you and change your family and with a blink of an eye, with a snap of his fingers, to restore everything that the enemy ever, enemy ever t- tried to take away. And he could send you and your family home from this service right now, singing Amazing Grace the whole way. Most likely that's not going to happen. Could. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to make that change right now. Probably he's going to work in a process. In my experience, God most often works in a process. Listen to this. The Bible says this. But the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You know, we didn't get into this mess in one day. We're probably not going to get out in one day. And there's going to be some times when you're going to do these things that I'm asking you to do. You're going to be like, God, I surrendered. I repented. And I changed. And it doesn't seem like anything is happening around me. That's why you've got to persevere. That's why you've got to keep going. And you've got to keep going. And you've got to keep fighting. And you, do you hear what I'm saying? Keep going. Keep fighting. Do not ever give up. Do not ever give up. You lower your shoulder. You bowl over whatever's in front of you. You keep going, you keep fighting, and you never stop. Man, you keep praying, you keep studying, you keep serving, you keep loving God and loving people, and you keep doing what you need to be doing, and sometimes it's going to look like nothing is happening on the surface, and you go even harder. And people don't like it when I make that response. And I always give the same one. People will call me up and be like, Pastor, I did all the things you told me to do. I've been praying I've been reading my Bible, I serve in the church, and now this thing happened. And I just don't think I can keep going, I can't go on anymore. Well, what should I do? Pray harder. Read more. Serve longer. Love greater. Put your foot to the pedal And don't take it off the gas. I mean, I want you to love God and love people like you never have before. And the harder it gets, the harder you love. And and the more awful it seems, the louder you sing his praises. And the more that your whole world falls to pieces around you, the higher you lift your hands. The higher you lift your hands. The higher. The higher. The further you sink, the higher you lift them. And nobody ever likes that. Nobody ever likes that. 
Every time I say that to somebody, they're like, I can't do that. And I'm like, you have to. You have to. Man, the harder it gets, the harder you go. Because the stronger the opposition is, man, the closer you are to a breakthrough. The closer you are to a breakthrough. And I don't know about you, but it seems like in my life, every time when I'm right there at that breaking point is when God shows up in an incredibly powerful way. Every time. Every time when I'm just about to fall over the edge, man, if I can just muster up that last shout of praise, you know what I'm saying? If I can just muster up just that last prayer, if I can force in all my pride and arrogance, if I can force myself down to my knees, then all of a sudden that's when the power of the Holy Spirit explodes around me and fills my life to the brim. Can you say amen? Oh, what a good God we serve. Man, if your family's a mess and it's falling all apart around you, keep going. Keep going. Keep fighting. Keep praying. Keep studying. Keep serving. Above all, continue to love in a way that the world can't even comprehend. Because breakthrough's coming. And God's going to use that mess for something more glorious than you could ever, ever, ever imagine. Because what it all comes down to is trust. Do you trust God? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. See, that's what faith is. The question is, do we trust God? I mean, do you trust in the same God that used Joseph's crazy family for his glory? Do you trust in the same God that uses my, my crazy family on a daily basis for his glory? Do you trust in the same God that took a teenage girl that wasn't even married yet And a guy that she was engaged to that must have been freaked out like nobody I've ever heard of before. And used him to protect his baby. And to raise his son. And to see our Savior birthed out of the biggest mess that that little community had ever seen. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Let the word of Christ lead you and fill you. And don't give up. Don't give up. No matter how bad that it seems, man, trust in God more than you trust the things you see. Trust in God more than you trust the things you hear. And please, if you don't do anything else, Trust God more than what you feel. Your feelings are not necessarily the truth. And so many people have been deceived and seduced by this world to think what they feel is right. What you feel is not the truth. What is written in this book is the truth. What was done on that cross is the truth. The testimony that so many families in this room have of what God has done in their lives, man, that is the truth. Don't give up. Even if you're ready to, don't give up. My Savior was born in a mess. My Savior's family was a mess. Look what he did. Something incredible can come out of your family too. Uh-uh-uh. You know, we thought my cousin was going to die in his addiction. We did. We uh, had already prepared ourselves for the phone call that was going to come. I don't know if any of you guys have been there. But every time the phone rang, every time that my aunt called us on the phone, we were already kind of bracing ourselves for what we were going to hear. Now, that didn't stop us from praying, didn't stop us from reaching out to him, didn't stop us from ministering to him. But every time, we were already prepared for it, of how we were going to feel and how we were going to react and the things that we were going to have to do. We, we just already had come to terms with it. 
it's a hopeless and terrible feeling to experience. But the more hopeless that it got, the more that we prayed. The more damaging that the situations got, the more we praised. The more terrifying and scary the whole thing got, the more we just cried out to God in real faith, believing that something different was going to happen. That God was just going to show up and do something remarkable, and none of it made any sense. Because it just didn't seem like on the outside that things were ever going to change. And then we got a call one night, and um, my aunt said that he had taken the car and left. She didn't know where he was going. And he was just angry and she was afraid. And so we started praying. We started praying. We didn't know what else to do. We just started praying. God, if you just fix this mess. If you just fix this mess. And so we continued to pray for the next couple of hours and I figured out a way to track where he was going. I can do things like that. He was headed south on I-65. I mean, he lives almost to Louisville, so. But he was headed south on I-65 and went down to Nashville and took a left and went over into East Tennessee. It was wild. We didn't even know where he was going. Then he stopped somewhere down there and was just sitting there. It's like three hours from here. And we continued to pray. And I didn't know what to do. Then the Holy Spirit spoke to me in such a powerful way. And he said, if you don't go, he's going to die. I don't know if you've ever had a moment with God like that in your life, but it'll sit your perspectives in a different alignment. So I just got up. I was sitting up out on the back deck and I just got up and went in and started putting my clothes on. And my wife was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm going. I'm going to go chase him down. And she's like, but, you know, it only updates like once every hour. You're not even going to know where he is. And I was like, I'm going. She said, well, not without me. You're not going. I was like, okay. And so my wife starts putting her clothes on and she calls her mom to come watch our plethora of kids. Which she had been wanting to go the whole time. So let's be clear about that. And um, we got in the, in the car as soon as Sherry got there and we just took off for who knows where. You've been sitting in the same spot for a couple of hours. I just knew when I got there, I was going to find him dead. I just knew it. Not in my spirit, but in my mind. I just knew it. So anyway, after a two and a half hour drive or whatever it was, we got lost a couple of times and drove into some part of town we didn't know if we were going to make it out of. Then we came around the corner into this big bank parking lot and there's his car set 
And I was like, there he is. And um, we just walked up there to him. It's like, hey, man. For some reason, it didn't strike him as odd that I just walked up to him in a random parking lot, you know, three and a half hours from where he lives and two and a half hours from where I live. Thank God he wasn't dead, but he was headed that way. Headed that way. And so, for the next, I don't know, couple of hours, we ministered in love. We fought the devil hard. But at the end of the day, God wasn't done with my family yet. And by the power of his love and by the leading of his Holy Spirit and by the glory and the sacrifice of his son, we were able to get him out of the mess that he was in and into Kentucky Christian recovery. And right now, he is doing better than he has ever done before. A few days later... A few days later, due to the influence of my brother, Pastor Dante Paul, my cousin Chad gave his life to Jesus Christ and was baptized in Jesus' name. And he's going to be here, second service, but man, God's got big plans for that boy. I don't care how far gone that you are. I don't care how far gone that your family is. My God specializes in broken. Do you hear me? My God specializes in broken. And if you want to know the truth, you're better off broken. Because it's our brokenness that draws us to the foot of that cross. And it's in our brokenness that he can take those broken pieces. And like I said on social media yesterday, it's a pretty good deal. He takes those broken pieces. And he gives you eternity in exchange for him. Because that's the kind of God that I serve. That's the kind of God that I serve. And you know what? God ain't done yet God ain't done yet now I don't care how far down that you are and I don't care how far up you think you are God is not done